Father in heaven, we thank you for yet again another opportunity to step into your presence and to be instructed by the living word of God. And Father, as we read from the sacred writings of Scripture, may we find advice that will help us in due season when we find ourselves in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. We pray now, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. In the last several presentations, we've looked at how we are in a spiritual war. As we look at the description of this in Scripture, the Bible describes that the Christian life is a life of war. And I've mentioned uh, several times, and it's worth repeating, that the Bible does not describe a wartime part of life and a non-wartime part of life. It simply describes that we are in Battle, And that battle is going to take place until Jesus comes to take us to the heavenly camp meeting that will never end. And I know you're looking forward to that. Ephesians chapter 6 is what we have been looking at. We've looked at several elements of the armor of God, and we won't have time to go through every part of it. I will leave that for you to go back and look at on your own. But I wanted to finish with verse 17. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible tells us, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. So the last thing that the Bible tells us in the series on the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now, Paul tells us about the different elements of armor that we are to put on, and and all of those elements are protective. They are to protect you as you go into war. But as you know, any soldier that goes into battle is not going there just to stand and to be protected from flying shrapnel and bows and arrows. They're going into war to destroy the enemy. Therefore, they need a weapon to be able not only to defend themselves, but to destroy the enemy, to put him to death. And so here Paul tells us that, yes, we want to put on the armor of God to protect us from the assault of the enemy, but we also need something to combat against the enemy, to defend ourselves against the enemy, and by God's grace, to put the enemy to flight and to destroy him. Hudson, or uh, uh, Taylor Bunch, in his book, The Armor of Righteousness, he says this, <clears throat> The most effective fighters in the army of Prince Emmanuel are the men and women, listen to this, who have the best knowledge of the scriptures and whose faith and confidence in them is unquestioned. Who are the best soldiers in the army for Prince Emmanuel? Those who have the best knowledge of what? The sword of the spirit. They are effective in their use of the sword of the Spirit. Acts of the Apostles, uh, sorry, uh, Christian Education, or Christian Experiences, page 116, says this. The Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit, 
And you should become skillful in its use. You should become what? Skillful in its use. If you would cut your way through the host of opposition and darkness. If we want to overcome the enemy, if we want to destroy the enemy, we must become skillful in our use with the sword of the Spirit. Now, as I was preparing this uh, presentation, I was preparing this Bible study, uh, I got a little carried away in uh, some of my research this past week. I was thinking about, you know, the Bible being a sword, and, and, and I was thinking about the ancient Japanese samurai warriors and the swords that they would use. And I started doing some research, and I probably got a little bit deeper into this than I should have. But I found out some interesting things. The Japanese samurai fighters, when they were born, when they were little babies and the little baby samurais were born, they would bring a samurai sword into the delivery room and lay it next to the baby. When the ancient samurai warriors died, they would bring a samurai sword and lay it next to the man as he breathed his last breath. For the samurai warrior, the sword was with him at all times. They carried three swords with them. One was a long one, one was a medium, and one was a short one. When they would come into the house, they would take the long one off, but the small dagger they kept with them at all times because they never knew when the enemy would attack. Contrary to what uh, Hollywood portrays when it comes to the samurai fighters and their sword fights, the, the object of the samurai was not to have a sword fight. The object of his engagement with the enemy was to kill him. And in a few decisive blows, they were taught to effectively kill the enemy with just as few blows as possible. In fact, it has been said by some that the, a skillful samurai warrior could cut somebody in half with his samurai sword. It was that skillful in his use. Now, I find this interesting because I think it has a lot of comparisons to our spiritual life, uh, especially in the, in, the, in the sense that the sword was always with the samurai fighter. It was a constant companion that was with them at all times. But let me ask you a question. Do you think they became so skillful in their use of the sword in just five or ten minutes uh, reading about it or talking about it or listening to somebody else talk about it every day? How did they become skillful in the use of the sword? It was everyday constant practice that they were doing. In fact, when the child was about three years old and they were training them to be a samurai warrior, they would put in their hands a little wooden sword and they would teach them the movements of how to use that thing. It was a constant daily practice. Every day they were skillfully being taught how to use and wield that sword so that when they got into battle, they could destroy the enemy. They were not there to have a sword fight. They were not there to have a good time. They were not there to look fancy. They were there to kill the enemy. Is it not the same with us? Sometimes I wonder if we would rather have a sword fight than actually kill the enemy. Throw out this passage, throw out that passage. Kind of play around with it. God wants us to take his word and learn how to use it to effectively destroy and kill our enemy. Amen? The sword of the Spirit, the Bible tells us, is what we use to defend ourselves in this great battle. The Great Controversy, page 599, says this. We should day by day study the Bible diligently. We should study it how? 
How often? Day by day, we should study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing Scripture with Scripture. There's no other way around this, brothers and sisters. The only way that we'll become effective swordsmen and swordswomen is if we spend time with the Word. Amen? It's the only way we're going to do it. If we spend time with it day by day and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us how to hold the sword, how to swing the sword, how the best, effective, and most efficient way to kill the enemy, the Holy Spirit has to teach us that day by day as we practice it in our morning devotions, we become more and more skillful in our use of the sword. Unfortunately, though, this is what we find. Uh, According to the American Bible Society... Nine out of ten American households have a Bible. That's, uh, what is it, 87% of Americans have Bibles in their house. Average is three Bibles in their house. Now, for Adventists, that's more like 30, isn't it? We love our Bibles. We're people of the book, amen? We're born and bred through the reading and the studying of God's Word. Nine out of ten American households uh, have a Bible in their house, the average being three. This is an interesting study that I found in Christianity Today. It revealed that 19% of Christians, not just Americans, but 19% of Christians admit to reading their Bible every day. How many? And we wonder why we're not effective in our spiritual warfare. Right? We're like, no, you know what? I think I'll pass up the metal sword and use my wooden sword. Forget the sword of the Spirit. This is one that I've been working on. I've got my own little sword that's made out of wood here, and this is what I'm going to use in battle. And then when we come into battle, the devil cuts that sword right in half, and we're like, we're we're, we're caught by the enemy. 19% of Christians read the Bible on a daily basis, and statistically we know that as Seventh-day Adventists, we tend to follow the Christian trends. It shouldn't be like that, should it? As Seventh-day Adventists, it should be more like 99% of us are reading our Bibles daily. But the reality of it is, that is not the case. And that is proved by the way that we treat each other. If we were spending time in God's word the way we ought to, we would have that loving affection towards one another, lifting each other up instead of pulling each other down. 19% of Christians read their Bible on a daily basis. May God help us to spend more time with the sword of the Spirit. Now, according to surveys, what do you think the biggest barrier is to reading the Bible? Any guesses? Not having enough time. Yeah, you've probably used that excuse, haven't you? (laughs) I know I have. Especially as a parent. It's busy. Life is busy. That's the number one reasons that the number one reason that Christians give for not reading the Bible. And we wonder why we're not effective in fighting off the enemy. Are you kidding me? I don't have enough time to spend with the sword of the Spirit. This is a spiritual warfare we're fighting. The devil is constantly on our trail. It doesn't matter what time of the day or night or year or month or whatever it is. He is always looking for a way to attack us. And I don't have time to spend with the sword of the Spirit? Are you kidding me? The reality of it is, brothers and sisters, we have time. 
right? We have time. It's just a question of how we're we using that time, right? And, and, and how we use our time reveals what we prioritize and what we see as being important. For an example, if I want, if I value my family, what am I going to do? I'm going to spend time with them. If I value uh, going to church, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to Sabbath school. I'm going to go to prayer meeting. I'm going to stick around for potluck to fellowship. I'm going to stick around. I'm going to invest time. If eating is important to me, what am I going to do? I'm going to spend time eating. You know, Job said that he esteemed the words of God's uh, mouth more than his necessary food, right? You see, we have time, and we spend time on what we value and what we think is important, and the fact that we are spending so little time in the Word of God reveals that we really don't value the Word the way we should. Now, I'm hoping, my prayer is, that most of you are not fitting into the category that I'm just describing. But if, if, if ministry has taught me anything, it has taught me that the devil is effective in trying to take up our time in the Word of God. Whether you're a Seventh-day Adventist, a Pentecostal, an Evangelical, a Roman Catholic, it doesn't matter. The devil knows if he can keep you away from the Word of God that he's got you where he wants you. That's what it, it worked with Adam and Eve, and it's worked all throughout the history of this earth. Why wouldn't he use it with us? So he keeps us busy, busy doing this and busy doing that and busy going here and busy going there. It's interesting to me that we have time to keep up with the Joneses on Facebook, but we don't have time to study the Word of God. Average person spends one hour a day on Facebook. It's interesting to me that we have time to keep up with the reality TV shows of the day. The average person spends two and a half to three hours a day in watching television, but we don't have time to spend with the sword of the Spirit. These are interesting things to me. We have, we have time to engage in frivolous conversations, but we don't have time to spend with the Word of God. We have time. We need to stop using that as an excuse that we don't have time. Did you know that in the time it takes you to watch a movie, and I hope none of you watched a movie this past week, but in the time that it takes you to watch a movie, you could read the book of Matthew, the book of Acts, or a dozen other books of the Bible. Did you know that? In the time that it takes you to watch the evening news, that one-hour segment of evening news in the evening, you could read the book of Nehemiah, the book of Hebrews, or the book of Revelation. How much time is lost by, uh, you know, our, our engagement in sports and hobbies and frivolous things like that? We have time. The question is, where are we spending it? This is the sword of the spirit. God wants you to become a spiritual samurai. Amen? God wants you to become so effective at using the word of God that you can quickly, efficiently destroy the enemy whenever he comes to attack you. But friends, that doesn't happen by reading the Bible for five minutes in the morning. It doesn't happen by just coming to church on the weekends. It doesn't happen by just, uh, you know, listening to a sermon every now and then or reading a spiritual book. All of these things are important, but they are not substitutes for spending time with the sword. 
We can't just read about the sword. We can't just talk about the sword. We can't just listen to other people's experience with the sword. We have to experience it for ourselves. What does it feel like in my hand? What does it feel like as I swing it? We have to practice these things day after day, moment by moment. When the enemy is not pressing us, we need to be practicing our use of the sword so that when the enemy comes, boom, we can use it effectively in destroying him and causing him to run away. This is our means of defense when the enemy comes. Great Controversy, page 600, says this. Temptations often appear irresistible. How do temptations often appear? Irresistible. Now, this is the spiritual battle, right? Sin and temptation. That's where the battle is. The devil is tempting us with sin and temptation. So the spiritual war is happening when he comes to tempt you. How do I engage in that spiritual war? She says this, temptations often appear irresistible because, are you ready? Through neglect of prayer and Bibles and the study of the Bible, he tempt, the tempted one cannot readily remember God's promises and meet Satan with the Scripture weapon. What is it? It's a what? It's a Scripture weapon. And so she says, because we're not spending time in prayer and Bible study, when Satan comes to attack us, we can't remember the promises of God. And so when that temptation comes and we can't remember the promises of God, we're not very good with the sword of the spirit or the spiritual weapon that God has given to us. So what we want to do as God's people is we want to spend more time with this sword, learning how to effectively use it to ward off the attacks of the enemy. John Bunyan, who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress, said this. He said, this book, the Bible, this book will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from this book. That summarizes the whole sermon this morning, if you remember that one little phrase. This book will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from this book. Can't have it both ways. You can't sin and have the word of God. It's one or the other we have to choose from. And if we want to be effective spiritual Semites to destroy the enemy, we need to spend time with the book. Let's not forget that back in the Garden of Eden, of course, Satan tempted Adam and Eve on the area of appetite. But really, the core of what Satan's deception was, was the authority of God's word. Did God really say? And then you fast forward, you know, about 4,000 years to the time of Matthew, and here he is again tempting the Son of God. Yes, he tempts him on the area of appetite, but he's also tempting him on the authority of God's word. And so Satan effectively got Adam and Eve, off of the authority of God's word, away from the Bible, to reason instead. And when they came to that that, that hand-to-hand combat with the enemy, they were destroyed. Of course, you go back in your mind and you think of that story of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And this is what we're told in the book Desire of Ages, page 120. It says this, In every temptation, 
talking about Christ's temptation. In every temptation, the weapon of his warfare was the word of God. In every temptation, what was his weapon? So long as Christ held this position, the tempter could not gain an advantage. She goes on. But what, by what means did he, Jesus, overcome in the conflict with Satan? By the word of God. Only by the word could he resist temptation. You know, it's fascinating to me, as we read that story in Matthew chapter 4, that when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus met him with the weapon, it is written. What happened in the end? It is written, it is written, it is written. I I can see Jesus almost like a spiritual samurai. And in three blows, boom, 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 Satan's gone. Don't you want to have that kind of warfare? Where it's not a long, drawn-out thing that happens over the weeks and the months where you're constantly struggling with the same thing over and over and over again. Boom, 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 Satan's gone. Why? Because he used the sword of the Spirit. Jesus was effective at using the sword of the Spirit. And as he used it, he was victorious in the end. Do we think that there is some sort of easier way to overcome the enemy? You know, I want to tell you this morning, there's really no way that we can improve upon this. The way Jesus did it is the way it needs to be done. Amen? We need to read that passage in Matthew chapter 4 over and over and over and over again. It is the blueprint for how we engage in spiritual war. It's the blueprint. That's the way we need to be doing it. We need to be taking God's word and using it in spiritual war. Now, there's something in this story that I think oftentimes gets overlooked. You know, we emphasize the fact that Jesus used the word of God to fight against the enemy. But here's what I find interesting. Before Jesus was tempted by Satan, he was in the wilderness for how long? 40 days, fasting and praying, right? He was closing himself in with his father's presence. Right before that, where was he? He was at his baptism, okay? So he goes from his baptism, 40 days into the wilderness, being, uh, you know, spending time together with God, and then he goes into this area of temptation. Let me ask you a question. Did he have his Bible with him? Hang on a second, Satan. Let me get out. You see, the passage doesn't explicitly state it, but it's there that Jesus, in his combating with the enemy, he had what? He had a memory for the word of God. He memorized it. He didn't didn't wait to get out the book and flip to the page of, okay, so I swing it this way. No, 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 no. He had done it so many times, it had become reflective. Something that he just just instinctively did, it was a reflex that as soon as Satan came, boom, he hit him with the word of God. He was so used to doing it day in and day out. He had practiced with the sword of the spirit. So when Satan came, he could effectively fight against him. It was very clear how Jesus was able to. To overcome. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. The word of God is what? It's quick and 
You see, this is not a wooden sword that God is giving to us. It's not something that's made out of cardboard. It's not something that is of human devising. When you go into battle with the sword of the Spirit, you will be victorious. That's how effective and powerful it is. It's not just enough to have the armor on. We need to have the sword as well. And of course, we're familiar with that age-old passage in Psalms 119, verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? There's the war. That's the war, that I might not say. We know this stuff. We're Seventh-day Adventists. We've heard it over and over again. How many times do we need to be reminded of the importance of daily feasting from the Word of God? Now, again, I pray that I'm not talking to people who have neglected this, but unfortunately, the reality of it is we're all human beings and we're subject to that temptation of not spending enough time with God in the morning, myself included. We all struggle with it. We make that decision the first time. When we get up in the morning, we set our alarm clocks, we're making a decision. Am I setting my alarm clock to give me enough time to spend with God? When we roll out of bed in the morning and we wake up and our eyes open up, we're making the decision. Is God going to be the first thing in my life? Am I going to spend that time practicing my swordsmanship in my devotional time? By word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Of course, it's the mind that we use to pick up the sword of the Spirit, right? We, sometimes I think it would be easier if we just had a literal sword, right? And we could just, but we'd probably end up cutting each other up if we did that, wouldn't we? Right. So God gives us the Word of God, and we pick up, if you will, we pick up the sword of the Spirit with our minds. We pick up those words, those passages of Scripture, and we call them forth into our memory, and we use them as we engage in spiritual battle with the enemy. The Bible does not say, thy word have I hid in my home, or thy word have I hid in my phone, or thy word have I hid in my journal, or it says, I've hidden it where? In my minds. The mind is the spiritual battleground that is being fought on constantly every day. Now, I want you to think about this. I know I've talked about Bible memorization once before, but it's worth bringing in because it's evident in the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 that he used Bible memorization to combat the enemy. I mean, you look at those passages, they were all from the book of Deuteronomy. He had memorized large portions of Scripture, particularly the book of Deuteronomy, and it came handy when he was under attack, right? Now, think about this. If you had five Bible passages that you had memorized inside of your minds, how effective would that be to fight the enemy with? Now, I think most of us have at least five Bible passages. You might not remember book and page, but you know the concepts of those passages. And the Lord wants you to use those. When the tempter comes to call those Bible passages forth in your mind and use them to fight against the enemy. Now, how do you think it would be if you had a whole chapter memorized? Would that be good? By the way, if you want a chapter memorized, Romans 8, great chapter to start with, okay? Good chapter. Now, how do you think it would be if you had a whole book memorized, right? You know, I kind of think about it this way. If you have a Bible passage memorized, it's like having a little dagger, right? If you have a chapter memorized, it's like having a sword. But when you have a book memorized, it's like, watch out. Do you really want to do this? Because I know how to use this word. So, so when we saturate our minds with the word of God and we're thinking about it, not just in our devotional time where we, oh, that's a good Bible passage. 
but it's something that we carry with us. We're driving down the road and we're thinking about the Bible passage. We're shopping in the mall, in the, in the, in the, in the grocery store. We're thinking about that passage. We're walking down the street, walking our dog. We're thinking about that Bible passage. And as we're churning it over in our minds and we're masticating it and thinking about it, we're learning how to use the sword of the spirit to fight against the enemy. Now, what really puts us to shame, I've mentioned this once before, are the Muslims, young men, for their rite of passage, will oftentimes memorize the entire Quran, 30 books, 114 chapters, 6,236 verses, to be precise. Takes the average young person about two to five years to complete. I know what most of you are thinking. Yeah, they're young. They got young minds. That's why they can do that. Ah, stop using those excuses. The Lord will help you to retain his word in your mind if you put yourself to it. I read a story this past week about a young man. He was in seminary. And one of his teachers <clears throat> encouraged all the students to memorize Romans chapter 8. And he went and he looked at it, 39 verses? Pfft, no way, there's no way I can do that. I, don't, I have a terrible memory. Have you ever said that before? You're like, I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> I have a terrible memory. There's no way I can remember 39 verses. But it kept chewing, it kept eating away at him. You know, you, how do you know if you haven't tried? And finally he said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And so he started bumbling his way through it, you know, one line at a time, and he just kept working and working and working, and at the end of the year, guess what? He had all 39 verses right here in his mind. It can be done. I had a, I had a friend. He was, um, before he gave his heart to the Lord, he was a drug addict and an alcoholic. He fried his brain in the party scene, and then he all of a sudden met the Lord, and he gave himself completely over to the Lord, and he started studying his word, and God healed that man's mind, and he became a powerful preacher for the Lord. Don't tell me you have a bad memory. If you start working at it and you start looking at the word of God and saying, Father, I want to hide it in my heart. You've told me to do this. You have to help me. Put it on his lap. The Lord will heal your mind, and he will give you the ability to retain those passions. Listen, the Lord wants you to be victorious. And if you are willing, he is willing to cooperate with you to teach you those sword moves to effectively destroy the enemy in as few blows as possible. It's amazing to me how these young Muslim men spend so much time memorizing their religious book and we spend, only 19% of us spend time reading the Bible every day. I think there's room for improvement. We have brilliant minds at remembering the inconsistencies of others and our own accomplishments. Oh, I can give you a long list of my accomplishments, but don't ask me to memorize the Bible. Is there something wrong with that? That's not, that's not the way we should be approaching the word of God. We should be decreasing, and God and his word should be increasing in our mind. If we want to be good swordsmen, the word of God must be paramount in our lives, daily spending time together with him in it. It's interesting to me, I was looking at this last week, people who train in the martial arts. Have you ever seen somebody you know, who, who does martial arts? I, I've seen it. Uh, or self-defense, 
The goal of that training is so that when they find themselves in that situation where somebody attacks them, they don't have to think about what they're doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? They can instinctively and reflectively respond to that person's attack. That's kind of the principle behind self-defense and the martial arts. So that somebody comes up and surprises you, boom, you can take them down with one hit. In fact, I remember uh, a friend of mine, he was working with my dad over in England. My dad was a roofer over in, in, in England. He had his own business. And this friend had come over to work with my dad. He had just given his heart to the Lord uh, a couple of years prior to this. But before he became a Seventh-day Adventist, he was a martial arts instructor. He was very high up, had done a lot of this stuff from very young age. He was from uh, the country of Malaysia. And it was kind of, it was like his whole identity was in martial arts. But now he gave his heart to the Lord, and that's what he wanted to do. He just wanted to serve God with all of his heart. Well, one day, this friend of mine was working on the building site together with my dad. And there was a young guy who, I think was an electrician. He was a young guy. We used to call him Elvis. I don't know what his real name was, but we used to call him Elvis. And Elvis had heard that this friend of ours was a martial arts expert, and he decided he was going to test him and see how it went. And so when our friend was, when he was walking past underneath the scaffolding uh, and, and Elvis was kind of hiding in the doorway, and as soon as our friend went by, he jumped out and he scared him, and my friend almost took his head off. And I want to tell you, Elvis never did that again. <laughs> he learned his lesson. It was instinctive. It was just a reflex. I mean, as soon as he was in that situation, boom, he just knew how to respond. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to consult a book about it. He didn't have to talk to his teacher about it. Boom, it was just right there. And that's how we have to become in our spiritual warfare with Satan. It's reflective. It's instinctive. When he comes against us, bam, we know exactly what to do in that very moment. Are you all with me? It's not just having a knowledge of doctrines, brothers and sisters. We've got to get over this idea of I've got the truth, I'm okay. The devil will destroy you with that truth. You, if you come to him and you say, I got the 28 fundamental beliefs, come on, what are you going to do? He's going to say, all right, let's do this. And he's going to take you down with one hit. Jesus didn't come to the devil with the 28 fundamental beliefs. He came to the devil with, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Manuscript release. Actually, before I get to that, Psalms chapter 51, verse 6, uh, the Bible says this. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. What is truth in the book of Psalms? Sanctify them by thy truth, thy... Right? The, the, the word truth, oftentimes you can substitute it for the word, or the word of God. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Where does God want truth? In the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Where does God want us to have truth? Inside. Not in a book. Not in a church. Not in some manual. He wants it in the inward parts. That's what will make the difference when the enemy comes. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the Bible says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Somebody say amen to that. They're not carnal. It's mighty to God to the pulling down of 
strongholds. So let's get practical here this morning. When Satan comes to attack us, how do we do this? Well, let's, again, just reflect on the story of Matthew chapter 4. When Satan came and attacked Jesus, what was the thing that he said first? He said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made into bread. What was the first thing? If thou be the what? Son of God. Yes, he was tempting him in the area of diet. But first he was tempting him of whether or not he believed what God the Father had said. Before Jesus was tempted in the, by, the, by Satan, he was in the wilderness for 40 days communing with his heavenly Father. Before that, he was being baptized by John in the Jordan River. When John baptized Jesus, what did Jesus hear the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 40 days later, Jesus is standing in front of the devil and he says, if you be the Son of God. What was he tempting him? Do you really believe what your father said? Why would your father let you be in this emaciated, hunger-ridden state if you're the son of God? Jesus replies, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What was he telling the devil? He said, devil, I don't care what you think. I heard my father say that I am his son. I don't care what you think. Right? He was meeting Satan with the word of God. God said, I am his beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I don't live by bread alone, but I live by his word and his word alone. Amen? You just go down the line, all of those temptations of Satan with Jesus, he effectively destroys his attack. Manuscript Leaf, volume 7, page 357, it says this. Those who do not accept the word of God just as it reads will be snared in Satan's trap. Those who do not accept the word of God, how? Just as it reads will be caught in Satan's snare and trap. So what does this practically look like? Let me give you some examples here as we wind this thing down. Practically speaking, how do we use the sword of the Spirit to fight this attack, these attacks of Satan? Let's say for an example you pray and you say, Lord, I need help, I need counsel, I need strength in the battle of getting along with others. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? I don't know if I want to lift my hand on that. Of course we have. We've all dealt with that, getting along with other people. Lord, it's a spiritual battle. I'm having a hard time getting along with X, Y, Z. How can I fight this battle more effectively? Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Oh, there's a revolutionary idea. When I'm having a hard time getting along with somebody, having a soft answer that turns away wrath. The Bible says, not rendering evil for evil. Oh, that's an interesting idea of how to get along better with other people. The Bible says, be kindly affectionate one to another in honor, preferring one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Can you see how the Bible is being used to fight against that battle that we have of not getting along with other people? How about this one? Lord, I'm having a struggle with the battle of judging other people's motives. Have you ever done that before? 
judging why they're doing such and such and this, that, and another thing. The Bible says this, for this, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Who should we be judging? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31. <clears throat> the Bible says, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye in Matthew chapter 7. Should we be looking at other people or ourselves? Can you see how the Bible is being used in that case to fight against the temptation to judge other people's motives? Instead of judging their motives, you should be judging your own motives. How about retaliation? Lord, help me with the battle of retaliating when people falsely accuse me and attack me. The Bible says, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously by whose stripes we are healed. First Peter chapter 2, 23 and 24. When he was reviled, he what? Reviled not. Maybe you say, Lord, I'm battling with sexual lust. It's such a struggle for me. How can I get the victory in this battle? Look unto me, he says, and be ye saved. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee, not at the things around you, but straight before you. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 25. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Can you see how the word of God can be used to fight the battle with the enemy? He has multiple types of attacks that he's going to use to try to pull you down. What passages of scripture are you going to use? Because it's not going to be enough to come up with your own human devising. Maybe your battle is with anger. You know, most men, they say, struggle with anger. The Bible says this, thou will keep him in... People who are angry, do they need peace? Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. How do I get the victory over the battle with my temper? I need to keep my mind stayed on him, and then he will keep me in perfect peace. I do my part, keep my mind on him. He does his part, keep you in perfect peace. How about this? He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Proverbs 16 and verse 32. What does Jesus say? Pray for those who despitefully use you. You know, it's difficult to be angry with somebody who despitefully uses you when you're praying for them. You've heard that before, haven't you? How about fear? Maybe you battle with the, 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 the battle of fear in your life, fearing things, fearing letting go of whatever it is the Lord is asking you to let go in your life. You have this fear. The Bible says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Psalms chapter 34 and verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he delivered me. From all my fears. I do my part, seeking the Lord. He does his part, deliver me from all of my fears. Right? The Bible goes on, it says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Psalm chapter 23 and verse 4. We could go on. There's multiple examples of this. But I wanted to just quickly try to illustrate, how can I use 
the sword in this battle that I'm fighting day after day. We need to be good swordsmen and swordswomen in this battle that God has called us to fight. It's not anything that's going to be easy, but we are assured victory in the end if we follow his advice. I want to conclude by reading this. This is from the chapters, or chapter, the scriptures a safeguard. Ellen White here is talking about the disciples right before Christ's crucifixion. I've read this to you once before. It was a while back, but it's worth repeating. Before his crucifixion, the Savior explained to his disciples that he would be put to death and to rise again from the tomb. The angels were present to impress his words on, the mind, on their minds and their hearts. So what was Jesus telling his disciples? I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be betrayed, but I will rise again on the third day. Over five times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus repeats that same thing. And then she says, the angels of God were there to impress this upon their hearts. Then she says this, but the disciples who are looking for temporal deliverance from the Roman yoke, and they could not tolerate the thought that he in whom all their hopes centered should suffer an ignominious death. What were they thinking about? The word of God or their own thoughts? Jesus was saying he was speaking to them I will be betrayed, I will be crucified, I will die, but I will rise again. The disciples were over here thinking, here we have the Messiah. He's going to break the Roman bondage. He's going to set us free. We're going to become these great people, and I want to sit on the right hand of him on his throne. Listen to this. The words which they needed to remember. What words did they need to remember? The words of Jesus. The words which they needed to remember were banished from their minds. And when the time of trial came, it found them unprepared. The death of Jesus as fully destroyed their hopes as if he had not forewarned them. Don't miss that. It's powerful stuff here. She's basically saying, listen, that Jesus told them that he was going to be betrayed and die, that they were going to go through this battle, this time of darkness, and when the time actually came, they were so consumed with their own thoughts that when the time came, it was as if Jesus had never even said anything to them. And we sit back and we think, how could the disciples do this? But we do the same thing ourselves. When we don't spend time with the word and listen to it the way we should, we do the same thing Ourselves. She goes on. So in the prophecies, the future is open before us as plainly as it was open to the disciples by the words of Christ. The events connected with the close of probation and the work of preparation for the time of trouble are clearly presented. In other words, she's saying the battle has been clearly presented. Does not Bible prophecy tell you that the dragon is wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed? The Bible tells us this stuff. But for many people, it's going to catch them off guard as if God had said nothing in his word about the spiritual battle. Why? Because they're consumed with their own thoughts. And then she says this. But multitudes have no more an understanding of these important truths 
than if they had never been revealed. Satan watches. What does he do? He watches to catch away every impression that would make them wise unto salvation. And the time of trouble will find them unready. Why? Because they haven't been practicing their swordsmanship. There is plenty in the world to distract you. Stop using that as an excuse. We got to get over this. I don't have time. I'm busy. I don't know how to memorize. I have a bad memory. We've got to get over these silly excuses and start buckling down and saying, okay, God, I want to follow Jesus as my example, and I see what he did in Matthew chapter 4. I want to do the same thing. Make me a swordsman like Jesus. I want to be a spiritual samurai. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this is in closing, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, the Bible says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Where does God want them? And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. What is Moses saying here? That as you go throughout your day, you should be doing what? Talking about the Bible, wherever you go. When you lay down, when you stand up, when you sit, when you talk, whatever it is, the Bible should be so, uh, so conclusive or so clouded in your mind or so uh, enveloped in your mind, just taking all of your thoughts, that that's what comes out no matter what you are doing. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that you should sit around and read the Bible all day long and never do anything else. Now it might be okay to do that every now and then. In fact, you probably would be benefited by that if you did it every now and then. But the Bible tells us we have other things that we need to do. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, right? So God does not want us to sit around and just be spiritual monks reading our Bibles all day long. But God does want you to put in the time practicing your swordsmanship. So I ask you the question this morning, what kind of Bible do you have? Do you have a dusty Bible? You know, it's kind of like a good luck charm. It's like a rosary, you know. We have it around. We're one of those nine out of ten people who have a Bible in their house. Do we have a dusty Bible? Or maybe your Bible is an emergency Bible. <gasps> There's an emergency. What does the Bible have to say? You your Bible out. All the emergency's gone. <sighs> Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. Or do you have a tattered Bible? Let God's people say amen. Let God's people have a tattered Bible. It might look nice. Nice leather cover and nice crisp white pages and all that fancy stuff. But it's tattered because it's been spent time with. And it's so just deep in your mind that you think about it no matter where you go or what you are doing. That's a tattered Bible. And maybe it might even look a little tattered as well because it's been spent so much time with. I remember I had one time, at one point my pages were starting to fall out of one of my Bibles. I said, it's time to get a new one because I don't want to lose any pages. I was doing a prophecy seminar in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. And there was a young lady that was coming 
She was the great-granddaughter of E.A. Sutherland. Now, that doesn't mean much to most of you, but he was an Adventist pioneer. He was a great man. He was the pioneer of Adventist education. He started Madison College down in Madison, Tennessee. It was a college that was the envy of the world, not just the Adventist church. This guy was phenomenal. He wrote the book, Living Fountains and Broken Cisterns, all about education from Genesis all the way through the history of the earth. Fantastic book. He had a mind for the word of God. And she was coming, her, his great-granddaughter was coming to my meeting, and she said, I have my grandfather's Bible. I said, what? You've got your grandfather's Bible? I want to see this thing. And she brought to the next meeting, she brought her grandfather's Bible in a Ziploc bag. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This is E.A. E. Sutherland's Bible. She brought his Bible, and I took it out of that Ziploc bag, and the leather on the side was all crusty and falling off, and the pages were all brown and marked up on the side, and I opened that Bible up. I'm going to post a picture of it on Facebook this afternoon on this Muskegon Facebook page. He, oh, I opened it up. Every single page was marked. It was all highlighted up, and, and there were stains here and stains there, and he had all of this, this, this like, uh, symbolic representation of different, I don't know what it was, but you could tell the man spent time in this Bible. And the fascinating thing to me was I did the math. He was about 80 years old when he got that Bible. I wonder what his Bible looked like the first time he got it. We ought to be thankful, brothers and sisters. There's 1,800 languages in the world where there is no Bible. 1,800 people groups that speak a language that have not access to the word of God, and we have 30 of them in our house. Slight exaggeration, but you get the point, right? We have so much at our disposal, but unfortunately we don't value it the way we should. And my prayer, you know, Ellen White made that statement. She said, I commend unto you this book, right? She, to, the, to the ministers of the Adventist church. I commend to you this book. What a fantastic statement. This is the way we ought to live our lives, practicing our swordsmanship with the word of God every day, every day. This book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. The choice is ours. God has given us his word. It's up to us to spend time with him in it. How many of you this morning, or this afternoon now, want to say, Lord, please help me to make your word a priority in my life? Amen? Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, we thank you that you don't send us out into battle with no weapons or ineffective weapons, but that you give us a weapon that has been proven to be a success. And Father, we want to fight in the armor of God. We want to fight with the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, we want to experience one victory after another that we would have un uninterrupted victories in our lives as we follow the example of King Jesus. 
Help us, Father, to make your word more and more of a priority in our lives, more next week than it was last week. We thank you, Father, for the challenge again this morning to take up the sword of the Spirit. Bless us to this end, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.